Welcome to today's Community Cast. My name is Matt Morgan. I'm the pastor at Community Brookside, a new church plant in Tulsa, Oklahoma. You're so blessed by your presence, and we hope that today's content will bring you joy. So there is a pastor. His name is Andy Cook, and he is the pastor of Shirley Hills Baptist Church in Warner Robins, Georgia. And he shares this illustration that I want to share with you today. It's from a sermon that he preached in 2014. He said there was a preaching professor at Harvard University, and he tells a story in his class about how his five-year-old son was working on an art project in his kindergarten class. It was made of plaster. It resembled nothing in particular, but with some paint, sparkle, and time in a kiln, it was ready to be wrapped as a gift. He wrapped it himself, and he was super excited. He was beside himself with excitement because it was a gift for his father, and it took him three months to make it. Early in December, when the child could hardly contain the secret, the last day of school finally came before Christmas break, and all the parents arrived at school for the big Christmas play. And when the students left for home, they were finally allowed to take their ceramic presents home with them. The professor's son secured the gift, and he ran toward his parents, but in his excitement, he tripped, and he fell to the floor. The gift went airborne, and when it landed on the cafeteria floor, the shattering sound stopped all conversations. It was perfectly quiet for a moment as all involved considered the magnitude of the loss of this gift. And this five-year-old boy crumpled down to the floor next to his broken gift and just started crying. Both parents rushed to their son, but the father was uncomfortable with the moment, as a lot of fathers sometimes are. People were watching. His son was crying. He patted the boy on the head and said, son, it's okay. It doesn't matter. His wife glared at the professor. Oh, yes, it matters, she said to the both of her men. Oh, yes, it does matter. She cradled her son in her arms, rocked him back and forth, and cried with him. And just in a few moments, the crying ceased. Now, said the mother, let's go home and see what can be made with what's left. And so with mother's magic and a glue gun, they put together from the broken pieces a multicolored butterfly. Amazing, the artwork after the tragedy was incredibly more beautiful than what it was before its broken state. At Christmas, the gift was finally given, and as long as he taught at Harvard, that professor kept that butterfly on his desk. It was a constant reminder that while grief is real and that loss hurts terribly, sometimes when things get broken, they can be mended more beautifully than they were to begin with. This butterfly was also a tremendous reminder that from great loss, great beauty can eventually emerge. Friends, I know that many of us have heard the news, and over the last couple of weeks, it seems that there's just been a ton of hurt and brokenness in our world, right? The worst of these terrible things that has been going on have been the two mass shootings that happened, one in Buffalo, New York, and one in Uvalde, Texas. And often when we look at these stories of tragic hurt, we get mad for a while, we cry about it, we look at the brokenness and the loss from the families, we hurt alongside them. But then as time usually does, it begins to heal those wounds and we forget about the pain until the next time something happens. And it just seems like life is full of hurt, right? And the hurt continues to come whether it's mass shootings or war or homelessness or economic hardships for struggling families. 
Bad things have happened in our lives and bad things will continue to happen until Christ comes again. But our faith tells us that despite this cycle of pain with Jesus, we have hope. We have hope that when bad things happen, better things are yet to come. When tragedies happen, healing eventually does show up in our lives. When we hurt, we recognize that through our faith, the hurt is only for a short time, but joy will come after our mourning. The Bible is clear that Jesus heals our hurts and he meets us in the moments of pain to bring us peace. It's not always easy to see that in our moments of anger and our moments of pain, but Christ is there along with us and he hurts with us. And he's been there all along. And time after time, story after story in scripture proves that this is a truth that we can count on. Jesus wants to have healing and wholeness for us. But guys, there's always going to be hurt. Life is not easy. And especially, it's not easy in this moment for a lot of us over the last couple of weeks. So in, in order for us to kind of really understand who God is in these moments of hurt, I want us to dive into a story that shows that life is hard, but God is faithful. In the Old Testament, there's a book that we've read through before, at least in part. It's a book called Job. And we see an entire story that looks like pain for the longest time. It looks like there's no hope. It looks like there's nothing but a bad ending coming. But spoiler alert, after time, healing takes place. And in the end, especially at the end of the story, it looks so beautiful compared to the hurt that we see initially. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to, to open it up to your Old Testament. It's at the book of Job so that we can see what hope looks like after tragedy and loss. Our scripture today comes from Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 22, and you can find it on the screen if you don't have a Bible. But if you have a Bible, make some notes, friends. I love it. All right, here we go, starting at the beginning. In the land of Uz, great name for a land, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and he had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the peoples of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to come and eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Wait, where did I, I lost my space. There it is. There, there is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout all the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. 
One day, in verse 13, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who's escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the heavens and burnt up the sheep and the servants. I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and he tore his robe and he shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Wow. That's a lot going on there, right? In the beginning of the story, we see that there's this long description of how righteous and how faithful Job is, right? What are some of the things you noticed in the introduction about Job? What? He has a lot of animals. He has a lot of animals. Where, where's Erica? Erica, throw me some of those uh, things for the, the peanut butter, the M&Ms. We need some of those. Uh, what else did you, you're going to get one. Hang tight. What, what else did you notice about the story of Job? What? He also had a lot of servants. He had a lot of servants. So he had servants. Boom. He had animals. Boom. Nope. That's for Ben. What, Will? That only one person was allowed to tell him. Yeah, like every time there was a bad situation, only one person was there. Yeah. What are some other things we noticed about Job? What, Levi? Uh, he would give his children burnt gifts. So he wouldn't give them burnt offerings. He would burn an offering for them, right? So he was the one. He wanted to make sure that his children were so faithful that even if they perhaps had made a mistake... That morning after the party, Job was going to go to the temple and start off. Well, not the temple. It wasn't around yet. But he was going to go and offer a sacrifice just to make sure that his children didn't sin. What do you got? I have free candy. Oh. Uh, I've got something, Matt. What, Jeff? So Job is probably the oldest book written in the Bible to tell this story. That it that of when bad things happen to good people. Yeah, so it is an. Hang on, let me get you a candy bar there. How do, how do you feel about Reese's? Good. All right. So, all of the things in the story, right? We know that he's wealthy. We know that he's faithful. We know that he's got everything going on. Everything looks great for him. It shows us that he loves God, and God is especially proud of him, right? When the angels come parading before God, which apparently the angels go parading before God at times, um, God stops and says, whoa, 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 Satan, hey, where have you been? And he says, I've just been walking around the earth. And he goes, oh, well, while you were out there, did you happen to notice my servant Job, right? And he begins to brag about Job to the devil, right? He's so faithful. And then the devil's response is what? What does he say? Because you're protecting him, right? God, if you, listen, God, if you just take away that hedge of protection away from him, he would curse you to your what? Death. 
to your face. That's absolutely insane. God says, have you ever seen someone so faithful? Surely there's none like him in all the land. He's clearly the coolest guy around. So God says, after he says, you know, Satan shows up and he says, you know, just take away the, the hurt. Just take away the, or take away the protection from him and he's going to curse you to his face and God says, bet, right? Let's try it. So God says, you can do anything you want. Just don't hurt him, right? Leave his body alone. And that's exactly what happened. So what does he lose? Everything. Everything, right? So it starts off with donkeys and the servants who are hanging out with donkeys, except for one, right? We, we recognize that. And then he lost his sheep and the servants taking care of them. And it says from the fire of heaven. What do you think fire of heaven is? Some, uh, yeah, some, some interpretations say the lightning strikes all the sheep and kills all the sheep, right? Then the camels are gone and the servants are taken with them and killed. And, and then all of his children, seven sons and three daughters, and all the people that are celebrating with them are also lost. Except for the servants in each situation. So Job leaves with like four servants. Job lost everything in one day. Not just one day, but in the matter of moments. Everything that made Job appear to be blessed to everyone around him was gone in an instant. His wealth, his servants, his children, his animals, the very future of his family was all gone. How did he respond? Shaved his head, as one does, right? Do what? Tore his clothes, shaved his head. Boom. What else? What? Can't hear you. He prayed, right? He doesn't condemn God. He doesn't say, God, this is all your fault. He prays. His response is to worship God in the moments of hurt and heartache. How many of you guys do that, right? Just let me see hands. Go ahead and raise your hands. Yeah, no, come on now. It's tough, right? When the world looks like we have no hope, the last thing we want to do is thank God for no hope, right? The last thing we want to do is talk about how good God is because it doesn't feel like that in the moment. So in this moment of hurt, like he, again, he's lost everything. He doesn't curse God. He doesn't get angry at God. He doesn't sin. So there's another scene that shows up in scripture shortly after this, and it's a little bit later on in Job. The angels come to hang out with God again, and Satan again shows up, and God asks Satan where he's come from, and the same response happened. I've been going here and there around the earth, and then God says, uh, we'll continue on. This will be Job chapter 2, 3 through 13. It says this, then the Lord says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? We've heard this before, right? There is no one like him on all the earth. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil, and he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replies, which is a weird response. A man will give all he has for his own life, but now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face, right? There's that phrase again. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. 
Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not the trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. And here's where it relates to our sermon series. You ready? When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Naamathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together in agreement to go and sympathize and comfort him. It's nice. It's sweet. When they saw him from a, from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and they sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. So at this part in the story, we see that God is willing to allow Satan to inflict actual pain on Job's body, right? He becomes covered with sores, and these sores are so bad and so itchy that he begins to scrape himself with a broken piece of pottery. Could you imagine, like, I don't want to be too descriptive. I just gave you candy. Uh, it's gross. I can imagine, like, the sores are beginning to fester and ooze and all the other gross words, right? And he's sitting in ashes. He's mourning for the loss of everything he has. And he has this great wife who loves him so dearly. What does she say? Curse God and die. Curse God and die. What do you, what? It's my wife on the front row. Sometimes you, <laughs> Sorry, was I not helpful to this? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, do you do marital counseling? I'm just, <laughs> just wondering. So let's just say his wife's name is Nicole and has some tough love. It says, just curse God. It is better for you to be dead than for you to sit here in all this pain. And kind of, I want to remarry because now I'm broke. That's what she's thinking. <laughs> she's a woman. No one knows what she's thinking. <laughs> sorry. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Adri Adrian is, she's very angry at me right now. I'm kidding. Guys, listen, let's not devalue our women. I only do that as a joke to sass people. I promise you, I love ladies. That sounds weird. <laughs> Let us pray. Let, yeah. Is it communion time already? All right. So, so in this moment, right, even his wife says, you have nothing to look forward to. Your life is a mess. You're sitting here bleeding and weeping, and you've lost everything you have. It would be better for you to be dead than you to, for, to sit in the situation that you're in. And that sucks. Could you imagine the person you have loved and have given a dowry for? We don't do that. But a person you've loved and courted and dated and, and been married to for years, you have 10 children together. You have a life together. She says, I can't bear to see you like this. You should just die. 
And I, I, I say it jokingly before, but guys, there's love in that situation. And it's a hard truth. Nicole's right. It is tough love. But she would rather see her husband gone than to suffer the way he's suffering. That is how bad it is. There is no hope. Sometimes it feels like that, doesn't it? Sometimes when life gets tough, it feels like there's no hope. And I, God, I just wish it would, was over, right? But we can't let those thoughts win. We can't. So in that moment, he shuts her down. Zip it, woman. Should we accept all the great things of God and not the troubles that come? You're talking like a foolish woman, he says. And in those moments of the hardest part of his life, he remains faithful to God in spite of the pain, in spite of the loss, in spite of his brokenness, in spite of his newfound poorness. In spite of all that, he remains faithful to God. And then we're introduced to his three friends, right? Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Hamathite. Yeah, it's a thing. I don't know. So they hear that Job is hurting. And I wonder how they heard that Job was hurting, right? Oh, might it be that when people are in stress or in trouble that sometimes the word is pretty easy to get around? Does that happen to you guys? That when life is tough, when life seems to be hurting more for you than it has, somehow magically everybody knows about it, right? And that's the situation we find ourselves in. Three friends, they get together and they say, hey, let's go, let's go sympathize with our friend. Let's go show him that we care. And I say this mockingly because I kind of feel like that's how it plays out in the story. If you read through all the scripture, it's tough. So they get together and they on their way to see Job and here they are with their, you know, provisions and their donkeys or whatever they brought with them. And they see Job while he's sitting in ashes, shaved head, sitting in dust, mourning, looking like a, a monster because the ashes, I'm sure, have covered into the, the sore open wounds. And it's just a terrible sight. And they don't even recognize him, it says. So they tear their clothes. They begin to weep out loud and they cover their heads with dust. In this moment, they become the dramatic friends that become mourners as well, right? Oh no, not Job, dust on my head. Oh no, ripping my new shirt. Oh no. It's a very dramatic situation, all three of them. Because when they show up to Job and they get to Job, what do they do? Not a dang thing, right? How many days do they sit there in silence? Seven days. They sit in silence. What? And seven nights. And seven nights, right. So they sit there in silence. And their whole plan and purpose was to go and show him that they care and that they want him to be better and they want to, and they don't say a word. Now, let me be clear. Sometimes it's good to just sit there and shut your mouth and let people bear their soul to you. But in this moment, literally nothing is happening. Everybody's weeping and crying and mourning and dirty and dusty and ripped clothes. I don't know that in this moment the sympathy that they showed Job was constructive. 
The way these friends jumped up and ran to be with Job was similar to the way that when some of us post things online about maybe how something hard we're dealing with, a death in the family, a loss of a job, a divorce, or something like that, we always have these friends that sometimes immediately show up and make post after post in response as a way to show that they care about you so, so much. Oh, I love you so much. Oh, you're the best. Oh, don't let it get you down. But these are the same friends that won't pick up a phone to call you. These are the same friends that won't send you flowers. These are the same friends that don't really honestly show up for you in these moments. But they'll be there in the comment section telling you how much they care, weeping and mourning and dust on their heads with you. And we all have those friends, don't we? That's who Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar were for Job. They're the phony friends that get all teary-eyed from a distance, but once they're face-to-face with Job, they got nothing. And they sit in silence for seven days. So as the story of Job continues on, these three, three friends prove to Job that they have no idea what they're doing and how to comfort him at all. To be honest, it doesn't even seem like they, that's why they really showed up to begin with. So all three of the friends begin to give these elaborate speeches to Job after these days of silence. And they want to get Job to confess to the sin that he's done that caused him to get such trouble from the Lord. Do you have friends like that? Just just go ahead and confess your sin to me. I won't tell anybody about it, but I know there's something going on with you that's caused all this hurt in your life, right? I promise I won't share it with the whole world. We have those friends. And in those moments, that's what Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar were. They were kind of these friends that showed up and they gave speech after speech to Job. Well, just just tell us what's going on. Just confess your sins to God. Turn over a new leaf. Don't be the sinner that we know you are. There's got to be some hidden secret sin in your life that's caused this to happen to you. And we still see that, right? The beginning of the story says he was the most faithful man in all the ancient East, right? He loved God and feared God and loved God and feared God and did all that stuff repeatedly, feared him and loved him and gave thanks to him and prayed to him. He was faithful, and yet bad stuff still happened. The story clearly goes to show that you can be one of the most faithful, obedient people in all the world, but sometimes crap just happens. And when those times come, there will be people around us that care more about what you did than how they can help you through those times. The comment section is real, friends, and it's not just real online. The comment section shows up in our lives day in and day out. And it comes out hard when it seems like nothing else can go more wrong than it already is, right? Then our friends turn their back on us. The people who claim to be our friends and family show up just to insult us or say things that really don't make sense in those moments of injury or hurt or pain. They add to the gossip. They add to the negative feelings and to the weight of our situations. Sometimes they do this out of meanness, and sometimes they just do it because they don't know what else to do. It's accidental. It just shows up. Have you ever heard one of those things like your dog dies and and somebody says, oh, well, you know, God just wanted your dog in heaven. That's not how God works. Oh, you had a miscarriage. God just needed another angel. It's not how that works. 
Sometimes people don't know what to say and they accidentally do more damage. And I think that's kind of how Bildad, Eliphaz, and Zophar show up in the story. They cause more problems than they solve. And the great news is that Job is faithful and at the end of the story, things change. There's this moment where Job begins to just cry out to God, what is going on? Why is my life in such trouble? I have not done anything. I've been faithful. I've loved you, God. Why is this happening to me? He asks God to give him understanding as to why these terrible things are happening in his life. But God shows up and doesn't give him the answer that he wants. Job was devastated because of his loss. And God basically tells Job that sometimes life is just hard. Were you there when I formed the foundation of the mountains? Uh, No, I wasn't. Were you there when I spoke and caused light to appear in nothingness? Well, no, I, I don't think I was. Then relax, Job. Sometimes things just happen. But know that I'm not leaving you. God is there for us when bad things happen. And Job later on recognizes that he doesn't get it yet. And so he goes on in chapter 42, and you can follow along on the screen, 42, 7 through 17. After the Lord said all these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two, this is God speaking, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me and my, as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant, servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Timonite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Nanathite did what the Lord told them and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him at his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the troubles the Lord had brought on him, and each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hapak. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. That's a big deal. After this, Job lived a thousand and, sorry, no, that's not right, a hundred and forty years. He saw his children and their children go to the fourth generation. And so Job died an old man and full of years. I want that to happen every time, right? Anytime that we have trouble or struggles or pain, I want that to be the story. If we can see our way through it and not curse God, we all end up so wealthy and so rich and so blessed. And we have seven sons and three more daughters. Okay, skip that part. But... That's what I want every time. You know how many times that's happened to me? Never, really, honestly. Like, it never happens like that. But there's a promise that if we are faithful to God and that we do love God and we don't blaspheme and we don't sin in the moments of hurt, that we'll at least have hope for restoration. 
It may not look like this. Actually, I'm going to promise you it won't look anything. I don't think you're going to all of a sudden get like 6,000 donkeys, all right? <laughs> well, the owner of, how many do you have, three? Uh, yeah. Three, three, three donkeys, all right? It won't look like this exactly, but I promise you there will come joy at the end of our morning. So before we end today, I've got a couple things I want to leave you with. Number one, God wants an excuse to brag about you, right? From the very beginning of the story, like all the angels are parading in front of God and God says, hey guys, have you seen Job? He is wonderful and he loves me and he's faithful. God speaks of how incredible and faithful he is and it was unprompted, it was unscripted, it was unprecedented. God doesn't normally, we don't hear stories about God bragging about people in scripture, but this is a story where God is excited about who Job is because he's faithful no matter what. God wants a reason to do that for each of us. So that means all of us have to relive, to live in a response to our faith. We have to live like the, the purpose of Christ means something. We have to actively live out our faith so the world recognizes him in us at work. We should do our best to live in a way that honors God so that we can make God proud with the way we live and love the world around us. God wants to brag on us. Number two, sometimes people in your lives are going to feign sympathy in order to feel like they have a right to correct you. Can I get an amen? I'm so sorry. Why don't you just confess your sins, right? Don't let people who pretend to care about you lead you. Let your faith in God lead you. When you're feeling lost and alone, we have this natural tendency to, to cling to people who show us care and love, don't we? Sometimes when we're struggling, we may even attach ourselves to people who pretend to care for us in those moments of our desperation. When we're hurting, we still need clarity of mind. So in your darkest moments, you need to make sure that you're still praying for clarity, praying for, praying for discernment. Don't let people take advantage of you in the moments when you're hurt the most because oftentimes people will come to take advantage of you in those moments when you're hurt the most. Last thing, when terrible things happen in our lives, we have to remain faithful. We have to. The story of Job serves as a reminder to us that we need to be people of God even in the moments when our life totally sucks. There was no promise for Job in the story that if he remained faithful, everything would just get miraculously better. But Job's story serves for us as an example that often our faithfulness ends with a blessing that we may not expect. may not end with riches and more children, but God honors our faithfulness. And that is truth. We can take that to the bank. So all of this story, the story of Job, is a reminder that sometimes bad things are going to happen. Sometimes there's going to be moments where hope seems far away, but the story of Job proves that God doesn't walk away from us. The promise of God is that joy will come after the morning. And right now, it seems like there's a lot for us as Christians to be mournful about. The tragedies that have happened over the last couple of weeks prove that our world is still broken. But the promise for all of us is that no matter how much we hurt right now, 
we have hope in Jesus Christ that a new peace, a new blessing will come. So I invite you to be on the lookout for that peace. Be on the lookout, seek to find ways that God is blessing us, even in the midst of our hurt. And if we look for them, we'll find them. Thank you so much for joining us on today's Community Cast. We hope that you were blessed by today's conversation. If you'd like to know more about Community Brookside, please feel free to visit us at our website, communitybrookside.com, or find us on your favorite social media outlet. We hope to hear from you soon. Be blessed.